again, we want to welcome you. And uh, again, Happy New Year. So how many people uh, planned on making, made some New Year's resolutions that they were going to eat better or exercise or do something like that that you planned you're going to start on the first you were going to do something different to grow a couple people how many people have already broken those things <laughs> oh okay not bad 50 percent we got 50 percent who are still doing it that typically happens um this morning i want to do a message around the idea of coming into a new year and uh, as we were, just as we were singing this morning, and we had, Cindy and I had a kind of a little conversation this morning as we were on our way here, this idea of our relationship with God, is it God who chases after us, searches for us, till he finds us, or is it us, we, who, who chase after him? And I think both, both of those things are true. Is as odd as they may sound, that, that God does pursue us. He is after our hearts. And he brings things into our lives, people into our lives, in such a way that our hearts uh, are drawn to him. But he's working actively to pursue after us. But one of the greatest ways that he uses to, to pursue us, to capture our hearts, is with a very simple invitation. And the invitation is, follow me. Follow me. And as we follow him, he captures our hearts. I want us to take a look at just one verse beginning this morning, and that's in the Gospel of Mark. It's chapter 8. And it's not even a complete verse, but it's just a fraction of a verse. It's this. Jesus and his disciples headed out to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, as they walked, as they walked. One of the primary ways that the Gospels talk about our relationship with God is as, as a, a journey. We say that specifically in the three Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but, but specifically Mark. It seems like as we hear these stories about Jesus, Jesus is always on his way to somewhere else. In that verse I just read, they were in, around, headed out to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and as they walked, as they walked, they talked. Mark especially tells the story of Jesus in really short sentences, and the short sentences come across as it's really fast. These things are happening really fast. As a matter of fact, one of the favorite words that Mark uses in the Gospels is the word immediately. Something happens, and then Mark says, immediately, they were off to someplace else. This fast pace. You, you almost get this picture of of, of the followers of Jesus, the, the disciples of Jesus, are always trying to see what Jesus is doing, but then always trying to catch up. Because immediately, Jesus does something and he moves off to another place, and they're always seem to be, anyways, kind of running after him as he moves. And that's what I love about that. 
the, the way that this journey uh, unfolds. One of the accounts that he has of his disciples is he comes across these, these fishermen. And he says in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then Mark says something that's almost unbelievable. It says they just, they dropped their nets, they, they left their, their father's business, and they just go trudging off after Jesus. We don't even know if they knew Jesus before this. They may have, but it, Mark doesn't say that, that they did. And so they, you don't even hear them ask the question, well, who are you? Or even a more important question, if I were there, would be this, okay, but, but where are we going? And yet the gospel doesn't tell us that they asked those kind of questions. They, they just kind of got up and stumbled after Jesus as he was walking down the road. And that's the image that you get in Mark of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. That being a disciple of Jesus is simply following after Jesus without knowing exactly where you're going or what you're going to, to walk into. There's another story in, in the Gospel of Mark that, where the disciples at this point are out in a boat in the middle of the sea. And we read these words in Mark chapter 6, verses 47 through 51. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them and walking on the sea. And he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. So the story is this. this they're out in the sea, the storm comes up, and, and the sea gets ugly, and it appears like they're going to drown, get swamped, and then they see, they look, and they see Jesus walking out for an evening stroll <laughs> on the sea. And it's as if he's going to, he's just going to walk by them. He didn't come out to rescue them, it doesn't appear, but he's just kind of out there moving. Jesus is always seems to be moving. And then you get to the end of, of the Gospel of Mark, and you have another story, and it's the story of, of the people coming to the tomb, the women coming to the tomb on, on Easter morning. And they come, and they're greeted by a young man in white, Mark says, and they're told this in Mark 16, verses 6 through 8. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going 
before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. So get this idea that that we're always following after, always trying to catch up to Jesus. And that seems to be more typical of our relationship with him than, than the exception. Just about the point where we think we know Jesus, we know what he's doing, we know what he's like. He gives us this invitation. He says, follow me further because there's more for you to see. There's more for you to learn. And this journey, this journey with Jesus becomes, becomes an adventure. And I use that word specifically, adventure, because in an adventure, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. You don't maybe know exactly everything you're going to encounter, everybody you're going to, to run into. You don't know the final destination. There's a, there's a word that we use, um, or has been used, I don't use it regularly, but this idea of serendipity. It's a, it's a big word, it, it comes from a story of a group of sailors who are on a ship called the Serendip. But what it means is this, it's what we discover, what we find out while we're on a journey someplace else. We think we know where we're going, we think we know what we're going to see, but we discover things that are a surprise to us that we didn't expect, and that makes an, an adventure. And if you walk with Jesus long enough, you begin to understand this is kind of the way we learn things, the kind of the way he works with us. We discover things about him. We discover things about ourselves. We discover thing about, things about life that we wouldn't have known if we weren't walking after him on this journey. And I think that's in part why the Gospel of Mark ends the way it does. There is just this shock that Jesus is not where they expected him to be, and he's gone on before. He's no longer at the tomb. He goes off. He says, he's in Galilee. Now you have to follow him and go to Galilee. And it sums up our whole relationship. Just when we think we know where he is, he's moving on, and the invitation is to move on with, with him. See, they certainly thought that the story was over on Good Friday. They thought on the day that Jesus Christ was crucified, he wasn't going to move anymore. He was dead, the story was over, and they were going to have to do something else. But they find, miraculously, that he is no longer on the cross. He is no longer in the tomb. He has moved on. And the disciples are now still on the journey they've been on for the three years before. The journey continues. Sometimes we think that this, our belief in Jesus is really just about having knowing fundamental truths, believing certain things. That's what it means to be a Christian, is I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. And we, 
we don't recognize that really being a Christian is a relationship of following a person, and that person is, is Jesus. And he's always moving, he's always moved, and he continues to move. And, and we continue to be amazed over the things that he leads us to and the people he leads us to. We've, we've been on this, I, this journey of being a pastor for over 38 years, for Cindy and I together. And it's not always been easy, it's sometimes been hard, but one of the great things is the things that we see, the things that we experience when we walk with him, the people that we get to meet that we would not have met if we hadn't obeyed the call to go. So it is a, a relationship. We're not following a certain set of rules of, of do's and don'ts. We are walking with Jesus. And that's what it means. When, we're invite, when I'm invited to perform a marriage ceremony for someone, I usually do premarital counseling for like six weeks before. And the idea of doing premarital counseling before somebody actually gets married, in my mind, was always this. It's like, I want to do this, so I want to help prepare them for when they get married. And the thing I've learned is, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> because you never know what it's going to be like. This relationship that you are about to enter into, if you're about to get married, no one is, nobody is going to be able to tell you this is what you are going to find out when you get married. This is what you are getting into. How many of us here, when we first got married, thought we knew we were, what we were getting into and we have now found that it's completely different than what we thought it was when we first started? It is completely different. It's more, it's more wonderful than we expected. It's larger than we expected. It's, it's, it's more, involves more sacrifice, more love, more forgiveness than we ever imagined it would be. And yet it is one of the greatest things that there is. When we commit ourselves to journeying with another person, we recognize that we're going to change and we're going to discover things about them that we didn't know before. And that's why when, when we, as part of a marriage ceremony, we ask the people who are getting married to make promises that in sickness and health, richer or poorer, until death, do us part. We ask them to make promises because they don't know what that's exactly going to look like. And at sometimes in your marriage, that's all you've got is the promise that you made to that person that you would stay with them through thick or thin. So a journey involves being here one day, being here another day, being here another day, that you continue to journey. There's a, in the Methodist church, to become a, a pastor in the Methodist church, you have to take a vow. And the vow is called the vow of itinerancy. What it means is simply this, is you take a vow, if you're gonna be a pastor in the Methodist church, you take a vow that you will move 
when you are asked to move. You may like where you are. <clears throat> you may like the people that you, where, that you are. You may feel comfortable where you are. But you make that vow when you become a pastor to say, when I am asked to move, whether it be by the bishop in some cases, or if the, that person senses that it's time for you, that you will move, unquestionably, you will move and you will continue on in this journey. We, think, we sing sometimes in the past, just as I am, that God accepts us just as we are. And he does. He doesn't ask us to clean up our act, to get it together before we become his followers. He says, just as I am, he accepts us. But we also have heard that other phrase, that he loves us so much not to leave us where we are. That he's constantly calling us on this journey to grow, to move. And sometimes, as with any journey, you, you wonder, where am I going? Is, is this thing working? You, you, get, you run into obstacles, setbacks. You, you become bored. The, the scenery isn't as interesting as it was when you first started on this, this journey. I don't know if you've ever traveled with a group of people on a long journey. You see them at their best and you see them at their worst. Several, a number of years ago, I was invited to go on a trip to Africa to the Congo, which is out in the middle of nowhere. And for two weeks, I was with a group of people where we didn't always have access to, uh, to water for showering or to brush our teeth. Uh, and at the end of the two weeks, we were pretty tired of everyone, <laughs> each other. We were tired, dirty, we hadn't taken a warm shower. And yet we experienced these things in the midst of it because we were on this, this journey together. People sometimes get tired. Sometimes they become difficult to deal with. You don't always see people at their best in spite of what we try to put on on Sunday. But in any journey, there are these peaks and valleys. There are times when things are going great and other times whether you wonder if you're going to be able to survive or not. And the most important thing is whether you're at a high point or at a low point, it's very simply this, that we keep walking. We keep following Jesus. And to be a disciple means to be disciplined in what we are called to do. The journey may have started out with a freshness, with an excitement, but then it may have waned. And so we need what are some of the disciplines that we need for this journey? First and foremost, I believe that we need the Word of God before us. To be able to spend time in the Word of God on, on, on a regular basis. Because if we don't have that Word from God that tells us what's true, who tells us who God is, who tells us who, who we are, and who tells us the truth and love, if we don't have that in our hearts, in our minds, then we're going to be left to our own thoughts. And that's not a good place to be left at points. So we need to be able to have the word of God before us. Sometimes I've heard people say they feel that God is, is far from them. I've felt it myself, that God is far from me. But in those times, I find that God has not abandoned me. It's, it's myself, that I've wandered off on my own path, and I need to be called back to him. 
And one of those other disciplines that's part of that is being here on a Sunday morning. Sometimes we may not feel like getting out. We may not feel like we, we want to be here because we know we think we know what we're going to encounter. But by simply putting ourselves in a place with other people and sitting beneath the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit as a group of people, we're putting ourselves in a place where we can hear what God is doing and saying. In the book of Acts, this group of people who were following after Jesus were called the way. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, we read this. But Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. That word, people the way, it just kind of just appears and kind of disappears, but I think it's such a great description of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That we're people, we're people on the way. We're on this journey. We haven't arrived at the final place where God has for us, but we are walking together on this path. Again, sometimes good times, sometimes bad times. Sometimes we get angry at one another. Sometimes we step on each other's toes. We say things that we shouldn't say. But there's the grace of God and the forgiveness of God, and we continue to walk. But it isn't always just the bad times. Sometimes as we walk on this way, we experience grace and kindness and love and generosity from people that blows us away. It's things that we didn't expect. But God shows us his goodness in the acts of, of other people. And again, on this journey, you see the good, you see the bad, you see the ugly. But if you're on this journey, you see Jesus. Will Willimon uh, was a, a chaplain for Duke University for a number of years. He's one of my favorite preachers. I listen to him. And he, he tells this story of while he was at Duke University, a highly prestigious college, university, North Carolina. He tells his story. He says, a few years ago, we had a representative from Teach America visit our, our campus. Teach America tries to recruit this nation's most talented college graduates to go into some of the nation's worst public schools. This is Teach America's method of transforming our schools into something better. One woman stood up in front of a large group of Duke students, a larger group than I would have supposed would have come out to a sort of thing like this. And she said to them, I can tell by looking at you that I have probably come to the wrong place. Somebody told me that this is a, a BMW campus, and I can believe it by looking at you. Just looking at you, I can tell that all of you are a success. Why would you want 
Why would you come to this campus at all if you weren't successful? If you are not going on your successful careers on Madison Avenue and Wall Street, that's your future. And yet I stand here hoping to talk somebody into giving your life into the toughest job you will ever have. I'm looking for people to go into the backwoods of West Virginia, into the ghettos of South Los Angeles, and to teach some of the most, diff in some of the most difficult schools in the world. Last year, two of our teachers were killed while on the job. And I can tell just by looking at you that none of you are interested in that. So go on to law school or whatever successful thing you were planning on doing. But if by chance just some of you happen to be interested, I've got some brochures here to tell you about Teach America meeting over. And with that, the whole group stood up and came forward to get the brochures to learn more about what it would mean to be Teach America. I think that little story reveals something about not only them, but us. That we know that there is something more than what we're experiencing. And that there's something that is in our hearts that says, I want to give myself to something larger than just making it through this day and paying the bills and putting food on the table. I want to be part of a mission of something greater. And that's what Jesus Christ is calling us to. Sometimes we think the mission of the church is to just get people to pray a prayer and accept Jesus. And that is incredibly important, that people come to recognize their need for a Lord and Savior. But it doesn't end there. It's never meant to be, okay, I prayed the prayer, I'm going to heaven, I've got my ticket, now I just need to wait for him to come back or for myself to die, and then I'll go to be with him. This idea of being a disciple of Jesus is this idea of growing. Theologians call it, call, use the term sanctification. It means that idea of growing up in Christ. And the only way I know of growing up, maturing in Christ, deepening in our relationship with him, discovering the deepness of his love for us, is very simply this to walk after him, to obey the invitation that says, follow me. And when you obey that invitation, you will find yourselves in some incredible places. And you'll see incredible things that you'd never experience, never see, by standing still. Let's pray together. Father, as, as I pray this morning, this idea of journey, of, of walking after Jesus, I, I recognize that there are a large number of people here in this room who have been on a journey, who have traveled an incredible distance 
endured incredible hardship, have seen things that some of us could, can't even imagine, experienced things that some of us can't even imagine. And this journey has brought them here and has brought them here this morning into your presence, Jesus. I thank you for your grace and your provision to us. And we don't underestimate that, that we would not be here in this place if, if you hadn't supplied everything we needed, body, mind, and spirit. But we also are convinced that you have not come just to leave us here, to sit here and wait. But this morning, that invitation, follow me, that you gave to James and John almost 2,000 years ago is fresh in our ears now. We don't know what that means. We know it's an adventure. We can't predict where it will eventually lead us. But we hear that invitation loud and clear. And we commit ourselves, I commit myself, to follow you as you lead. We pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.